Are you looking to wager on all the big games and sports? Well, lucky you, Bet Online is here. It remains your number one spot for all updated odds and info, along with player props and new contests throughout the year. Looking to wager on all these games? Hey, head on over to your mobile device or your desktop and visit betonline.ag. That's all you have to do, betonline.ag, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V to get started. Bet online where the game starts. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. It's officially ice cream season in Central New York, and the locally owned and operated Carvel in North Syracuse welcomes you to come in and grab their bunny and egg-shaped cakes, along with a four-pack of hip-hop bunnies. Everything at Carvel of North Syracuse is made fresh, so no matter what kind of treat or design you want, they make it happen. Carvel is open seven days a week. Brewerton Road, North Syracuse. America's favorite since 1930 and open Easter Sunday. So go get your bunny and egg cakes or those four packs of hip-hop bunnies. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter is back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. We are brought to you by our good friends over at Welch & Company Jewelers. Log on to welchjewelers.com today. Shop the showcase. Great stuff there with the wedding rings, engagement rings, uh, specialty items from different vendors. They have necklaces, bracelets, watches, you name it. Shop the showcase. The best jewelry around is with Welch & Company Jewelers at welchjewelers.com. A big tip of the cap. Thank you as well to our friends at uh, Bowers & Company CPAs, your State Farm agent, Matt Graham, and Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State. Grab that tax-efficient retirement plan today from Brian Conboy on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and advisors.massmutual.com. So this is going to be a fun episode. I'm going to spend probably the first 10 to 15 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, talking about the edge rushers in the upcoming NFL draft. Uh, And then from there, a couple of Buffalo Bills insiders join the program in a crossover episode from my built-in Buffalo Pandemonium podcast, Sal Capaccio, the beat man and insider, and of course, a sideline reporter for WGR 550 for the Buffalo Bills. He's joining the program as well as Jason Wolf from the Buffalo News. We're going to get into, with both of these guys, a ton of topics. The upcoming draft, we're going to talk about free agency, the big moves, Von Miller, the impact he can bring, um, you know, what's left in free agency uh, as we record this. You know, <laughs> still a lot of question marks there about the draft as well, um, you know, Brandon Bean and being a wizard. Has Josh Allen already reached his ceiling? What does that mean, really? Um, You'll find out. So Sal and Jason uh, will take you from there. And uh, they're just both awesome, awesome guests. All right, here we go. The edge rushers in this draft, 
Okay, I think that this is the the best position of of any in the NFL draft. This is a locked and loaded everything you could want in this guy. Uh, you know, all all the cliches, all the all the the, the same. You know, high motor, uh, incredible skill set, great footwork, awesome hands. Uh, dis, you know, difference maker, uh, disruptor, blah blah. All these edge rushers here, at least the top of the top, the cream of the crop, are they fit and check all the boxes. They really do, starting with Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, when you talk about Aiden Hutchinson, he's got one of the highest floors you could ever imagine. And, you know, I got caught up a few years ago in that whole can't-miss thing, like, oh, who are the can't-miss guys in this draft? Um, You know, and sometimes it's fun, but then it gets old because it's the draft and everything just gets hashed and talked about so much. Um, But but if I had to bring the can't-miss discussion into the 2022 NFL draft, I would venture to say that there are probably multiple defensive ends, uh, you know, edge rushers who I would I would label um, as exactly that, because these guys are incredible. Um, Aiden Hutchinson, high quality, um, prototypical size for a defensive end, six six two sixty five, power, athletic traits, quick around the edge, blends well, can move him around. Unbelievable balance. I, I just, he is, he's really, really good. Never takes a playoff. So Aiden Hutchinson's definitely in there. Now, here's a guy who I wouldn't call can't miss, but if in the boomer bust world, I'm not sure there's a pick in this draft more under the uh, scrutiny of that label boomer bust than Kayvon Thibodeau. We know how unbelievable skilled he is. He entered the year as the number one overall prospect for most people, and he ended up having a pretty good year. Uh, missed a few games to injury, uh, but 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 put up some solid numbers, no question. Uh, All-America recognition. He's a former top five recruit. Uh, day one, immediate impact. Um, you know, and I think uh, speed moves and 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 just his his ability to kind of curl and bend around the edge, it, it'll translate big time to the NFL. Uh, he's a six five, two hundred fifty eight pound guy. So again, very very uh, uh, prototypical frame here. And look, he might be less advanced than Hutchinson, but if he booms with his next level athleticism, he might have a higher ceiling than Aiden Hutchinson. So would I take the chance if I'm one of those top couple of teams on Kayvon Thibodeau? I probably would. You know, I probably would. Um, Trayvon Walker, there's nobody gaining. Well, maybe there's one other guy, maybe Sauce Gardner, right, with with Cincinnati, the corner. Um, But man, that would be it as far as guys who have just climbed the depth chart uh, the last four, you know, two, three, four weeks. This guy uh, is a national championship player. Uh, he played in 15 games uh, last year. He had 33 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, six sacks, and two passes defended. He's a menace. I mean, he's everywhere. Um, he's been steadily rising since the beginning of the season. Uh, he's, he's an elite athlete. Period. End of discussion. He's a four-five speed guy, uh, as a two-six-five, uh, two hundred seventy-five pounder, which is absurd. Um, and you know what? He plays with that speed, and he matches it with the agility. It's one thing to just be fast, but it's the it's the agile nature, the bend, the length, and the strength. Um, he's a potential All-Pro edge rusher for years. There's no doubt. Um, so we'll see what happens here with him. But he has the traits to develop. No question. Uh, his pass rush traits and and his young 
as just a third-year player as well. So you're getting a very, very young player, a very, very developed player, a guy who played on the big stage, a guy who won a championship. Uh, he will not be scared of crowds in the NFL because the SEC is basically the NFL uh, in terms of crowd experience, this and that, tradition, pressure, uh, you name it. But he's, look, he's a little he's a little raw, but, but boy, uh, again, a little bit like Thibodeau in terms of the boomer bust. If he booms, somebody's going to get a, an unbelievable player. Jermaine Johnson, the second out of Florida State, I really, really like. Um, I know he's kind of the forgotten guy um, when you talk about the top few, but he had 70 tackles last year and 17 and a half tackles for loss and 11 and a half sacks. That is insane. Unbelievable motor, great finesse in both pass and run stopping. Uh, again, 6'5", 260-pound frame, pretty similar to a lot of the other guys. He's got the frame and enough athleticism to play really in any scheme, 3-4, uh, 4-3, three, four, four, three, et cetera. Um, he could play a 3-4 linebacker. He could play a 4-3 defensive end. Uh, he's smart with his pass rushing moves. He, 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 he's, he gets off the block really quick. Uh, he competes well. Um, these are all the things that you're hearing um, above ad, average athleticism. And, you know, a little bit of that bend that Thibodeau has and Hutchinson has in turn, and, and, uh, and, and, and really Trayvon uh, Walker as well, uh, that bend around the edge. He's got it all. I, I think if you need an edge rusher and you're not at the top and you're not trading up to get somebody that you want and Thibodeau's off the board and Trayvon Walker's off the board and Aiden Hutchinson is off the board, Boy, you could do a lot worse than Jermaine Johnson the second man. You really could. Um, another guy I want to focus in on quickly is number uh, is is the fifth ranked uh, defensive end on many many boards, uh, fifth ranked edge rusher, and that is George Karlaftis out of Purdue, a freak. I mean, wow! Transition from speed to power, uh, as well as anybody out there. He's six four, two seventy five, and you'd expect him to be kind of that like traditional, just go push down traditional pass rusher, but he's actually really hard to keep off of his feet and to redirect. Uh, he's small enough to get through the creases and cut down field, and yet he's big enough to push people over. Uh, first step is incredible, good speed. Um, you know, 12 games played, 39 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss. He had four and a half sacks. He's still a little inexperienced from his days as a Boilermaker and has a much higher ceiling uh, than he's currently playing at for sure. Uh, but but those are some of the things to look at for him. Uh, when you look elsewhere, I mean, those are the five best guys for sure. Uh, Boy Amafe out of Minnesota. Uh, David, uh, uh, David Ojabo would be um, another great pick out of Michigan for sure. Um, Ebiketti, I always get his name messed up. Arnold Ebiketti. Abakadai, I can't remember which one it is, but either way, out of Penn State, uh, he's really, really good. Sam Williams out of Ole Miss is definitely a guy who uh, might be able to, to do some damage here. Maybe he's a second-round pick. A um, couple other guys I really, really like in this uh, in this draft. Uh, you got Tyreek Smith out of Ohio State. He's projected as around, you know, between a t number 20 to 25 uh, overall edge rusher, but if you could get him, like, second round or, like, late third, uh, you might get a steal there. Uh, Michael Clemens, Texas A&M, really came on uh, last year. And it's funny, when you look at the chart of these guys, I'm just going through 6'3", 255, 6'5", 255, 6'5", 265, 6'5", 275, 6'5", 260, 6'7", 260. That's about where we're at. 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", for the height and the weight between low-end 255, high-end 275, 280. 
that's kind of the edge rusher in today's day and age. And I think a lot of that has to do certainly, you know, with Von Miller, um, you know, and his hybrid, uh, his hybrid ability at the next level, um, you know, where he, he is an edge rusher, but his roster position still is labeled, you know, as a linebacker because he can blitz from, you know, the front end. He can move back a little bit. Like if you're in a three, four, you can move him a little bit as the outside linebacker and then have him rush in that way. I mean, he, he can go, yeah, kind of come in from different directions and different angles, but um, you know that's that's the prototypical deal now. I mean, when you look at uh, Khalil Mack was at, on that road for a little while, but if you look at the last fifteen to twenty years in development of the edge rusher as the game has moved into an offensive world, I mean, it's just a prolific offensive uh, league now. Uh, all the yards, the receivers, the quarterbacks, the money they're getting, the offenses. The, look at the Bills-Chiefs playoff game last year, for crying out loud. I mean, it is a passing quarterback, wide receiver league, no doubt. How do you how do you kind of maintain that? How do you how do you try to at least slow that down? Uh, you do it the way of what the Buccaneers did when they beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Uh, you do it the way of the L.A. Rams when they had Floyd. And Aaron Donald, of course, is a three technique, but Von Miller, they add him, right? And so even Cincinnati doing some damage to Mahomes in the AFC title game last year, um, you know, with, with, with Hendrickson and Hubbard and those guys. And um, I just think that, you know, right now, this NFL draft here with the edge rusher uh, position, it is absolutely just not only are there great players and awesome options and uh, just a versatile and, and a variety of players, but you have a situation where uh, it, it shows it is the it is the best draft example, in my opinion, of what the position is today. Guys coming out of college, you learn a heck of a lot about them. You know, I mentioned Sam Hubbard with the Bengals, two hundred sixty five pounds, six five, six four, two hundred seventy. Trey Hendrickson. I just, I just listed off all those heights and weights of all the players coming out. They're right in that wheelhouse. So, you know, it, it's it's going to be a tremendous draft for the edge rushers. I think it's going to be um, a situation where we could have. Uh, some bona fide annual all pros. We could have a couple of Hall of Famers in this draft if these guys stay healthy. I, I I'm telling you, I really like these guys. You know, Von Miller, by the way, six three, two hundred fifty pounds, right? Um, so you know, again, uh, hybrid defensive end linebacker type. A lot of these guys can do a lot of different things, but um, there's some steals to be had late. But the big five: Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson the second, and George Karlaftis from Purdue. I'm Mike Lindsley. This is the ML Sports Platter, brought to you by Bowers and Company CPAs, Rosie's Corner, and our great, great friends over at Camillus Golf Club. Get your 2022 membership today at Camillus. If you're in and around the great state of New York, travel and play golf at Camillus. 18 holes. It's greener than green. Uh, it's just amazing views. The greens are always in great shape. They've got awesome food and drink uh, after your round as well at Camillus Golf Club. Go get them on Facebook and Instagram and CamillusHillsGolfClub.com. Get your membership today. Camillus Golf Club is the official golf club of the ML Sports Platter. And a tip of the cap thank you as well to the Swan and Whitaker families as well as Burn Dairy. Head on over to a participating location around central New York and you can get your car filled up. You can grab that hot and cold food to go for lunch or dinner. And of course, the delicious donuts and coffee on your way into work as well. Burn Dairy, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. All right, let's hear from Buffalo Bills insiders Sal Capaccio of WGR 550 and Jason Wolf of the Buffalo News. We got into a ton on the Pandemonium podcast as far as you know the stadium uh, situation. Josh Allen and, and reaching a ceiling already. 
uh, the upcoming draft, free agency, Von Miller's impact, formations on offense. We broke it all down on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network uh, for my show called the Pandemonium Podcast. And so I wanted to do a little crossover here into the ML Sports Platter. Here are Sal Capaccio and Jason Wolf talking Buffalo Bills football. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, I'm Mike Lindsley. Pandemonium is the show, and let's bring in none other than Sal Capaccio, WGR550. You can get him on Twitter as well, the Bill Sideline Reporter, an insider, a host, really a, a jack-of-all-trades for that great radio station out in western New York. Sal, it's great to have you back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. All right, let's sure. let's start with, obviously, the Bills had a splashy offseason so far. We still have the draft to come. We'll get into that in a second. But if, if the Bills are to get over the hurdle and, and to win a Super Bowl this upcoming year, what move do you think will influence it the most non-Von Miller? Oh, that's a good question, because I was so ready to say Von Miller, of course. Right? It's an easy answer. Um, I think it's the interior of the D-line, the guys next to Von Miller. I think it's the uh, additions of Daquan Jones and Tim Settle together. Now, they lost you know, Harrison Phillips, of course, but I think it's really the Bills, they were susceptible against the run at times last year. Now, overall, big picture, they, they finished okay. But you remember that game against Indy where Indy just controlled the game on the ground. Remember that game against mm-hmm. New England, the long run that you know hurt them in the in the game in Buffalo. You know, otherwise the Bills did a pretty good job. But there were times last year where really the last few years where the run defense just wasn't what it's supposed to be. And the way that this defense works, Mike, is if if those guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's tough on the linebackers. The linebackers need those guys to do what they're doing to be able to be able to use their athleticism and flow. And you know, I, I think those those two moves together in concert are going to have a really big impact and they have to, they have to for this team to ultimately get to the next step. How do you see the, the formations when you take, you know, the, the, I guess the 11 personnel and using a ton of the slot, the two tight end might be a thing now, right? Because of the blocking scheme and you bring in OJ Howard, uh, but you, you have Jamison Crowder coming in too. And you bring back McKenzie, right? And Dawson Knox had a breakout year last year. H- how do you see those two things balancing uh, against each other the two tight end set possibly used more often and and that slot game that the bills love as well i think kent dorsey's going to run more two tight ends i think they're going to do more 12 personnel i mean you know there's been some indications on that just some kind of tea leaves when you hear brandon bean talk and sean mcdermott talk a little bit you know since the offseason ended but then let's let's take a look at the moves actually i mean they they signed oj howard to a three and a half million dollar contract that's not peanuts now that's not extravagant it's enough to say they're going to use him. not so much to say he has to be like the number one tight end. Of course, that's Dawson Knox. We know that. I mean, they clearly targeted him and in lieu of that. They did not bring in like another outside wide receiver. They brought in Jamison Crowder to play in the slot to compliment and go along with Isaiah McKenzie, who kind of slides back into what his role was last year. So I'm looking and thinking, okay, we have Diggs and you have Davis on the outside. Who's after that? I mean, you'd have to really rely on either a Marquez Stevenson or Isaiah Hodgins 
to kind of step up. So I think what you're looking at is probably them shifting a little bit more to the two tight end set, which is why I think the, they've made the moves here to say, you know what? It's not as important to get that third receiver outside. It's more important to get that second re- second tight end where we can use him. So sure. Are they going to still run a lot of 11? Are they going to spread the field? Of course they have Josh Allen. That's what they're going to do. But I think you're going to see a lot of that and don't discount Duke Johnson too. You know, they went after JD McKissick. He, they thought he, they signed him. Then he went back to Washington and then they get Duke Johnson. They're the same player, right? They're a guy that catches the ball out of the backfield. So I think you're looking at a little bit more of the tight end usage, a little bit more of throwing the backs out of the backfield as well. How good can the offensive line be this year? I think they could be really good if, um, you know, they tap in, if Aaron, Aaron Cromer can tap into, you know, what he's capable of. He's a really good coach, a lot of high marks. Eric Wood speaks very, very highly of him. I still wonder about the depth. I think their starting five can be real good, I guess. You know, I think we know what that starting five looks like on paper right now. You know, Dawkins and Spencer Brown at left and right tackle, Mitch Morse in the center, Roger Saffold and Ryan Bates at guard. Um, that looks like what it, on paper, at least, you know, but who knows? Ryan Bates isn't guaranteed to start. They did sign him to that contract that they matched from the Bears. So he's going to be getting about $4 million a year. So that's pretty much starter money. But at worst, he becomes an expensive backup who can play five positions. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, Cody Ford. I'd like to see him, you know, be able to finally in his year four do something more than what he's been able to do. He's just, he has not lived up to where they drafted him at all. But I think this is where Aaron Cromer comes in. Aaron Cromer might be able to tap into something there. Ike Butker coming back from the injury, he's not going to be ready. So you look at the depth and you think, you know, beyond the five, who do they really have? Um, You hope Tommy Doyle takes a step up. So I think they have to add to that spot. I think they could be good, but it might depend on them, you know, making sure that they're healthy as well to, to remain like that. Sal Capaccio, our guest here on the Pandemonium podcast on the Built in Buffalo podcast network at Sal Sports on Twitter, the terrific Bills beat man and sideline reporter. He also hosts the Extra Point Show on WGR 550, 10A to 12P. Make sure you catch that uh, where your streaming services are available. Um, Von Miller. Now let's nail a little Von Miller here. Um, (laughs) I was stunned that they got him. I think, you know, we had heard whispers that veterans had behind the curtain, right, reached out to the Bills and, you know, had inquired about joining the team, their agents, whatever the case may be. Uh, But I never thought Von Miller would end up being, even if he inquired, a Buffalo Bill just because of the way the cap was and all that. We know Brandon Bean's a shark and he worked it out. Um, Can you take me through your timeline of following the Von Miller story and were you floored when he signed with the Bills? Yeah, I would say this actually goes back, not Von Miller specifically, but this type of pursuit has gone back a few years. The Bills have really tried to find that guy, Mike, right? Like a guy who every team has to game plan for when you play off the edge. Whether that's, you know, bringing in Mario Addison and Quentin Jefferson, especially Addison, obviously outside, but, you know, different guys in the D-line. Jerry Hughes and extending him and, you know, keep running it back with him. And then, of course, drafting Greg Rousseau. Drafting AJ Epinesa the year before that, drafting Greg Rousseau, piggybacking that with Boogie Basham. Like, where is the guy? They got to find a guy, a guy who everybody has to account for on every play. And I think that's the big thing, which is they finally said, we're going to do it. We we just have to do it. Whatever it takes, we got to do it. And if that means we have to spend, we're going to do it. Now, I think it was always in the back of all our heads that Bills would try to do something like that. But you look at the market, you're like, okay, who's out there? How much did it cost? They don't have a lot of money. Chandler Jones was the guy that we all kind of were thinking about a lot. He could be there. Of course, you know, he um, he went to Syracuse. He's from the Rochester area originally. That kind of seemed like a fit. Um, even at his age, oh, that just seemed like he's been very productive. Maybe that's the guy. Trading for Daniil Hunter was always something that was there. Minnesota Vikings, he's still got time left in his contract. He had a good price. 
yeah, you have to give up some premium assets for him, but that would be a, a nice feather. So I think when it ultimately was announced Von Miller, for me it was, wow, like they got Von Miller. That's not the guy I would have seen him getting. But also, yeah, I knew they were trying to do something big. I mean, like, like they've always kind of had it where they were going to do that. So I think from that standpoint, it wasn't as shocking. When you heard Von Miller talk then, we went, I went to the press conference, and he talked about leaving L.A. and who wouldn't want to play with Aaron Donald? Who wouldn't want to play opposite, you know, Leonard Floyd and having the group that they had and how, how tough it was and how much they recruited him and just kept staying on him and staying on him to stay in L.A. And he chose Buffalo. I think that was the biggest thing where when you realized really that they didn't want him to leave L.A. He didn't want to leave L.A., but he ultimately still did to chose Buffalo. That to me was the more shocking part of it. It wasn't like L.A. said, hey, thanks for the Super Bowl. Good luck finding your next team because we can't afford you. They wanted him back and they tried to get him back. And Sean McVay called him like three times that day. That was the big thing that shocked me. Are we already at the the kind of the Patrick Mahomes? I know, I know he won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, fifty touchdown season, five thousand yard, uh, you know, five thousand yard season. You know, early in his career, it was like, how much better can he get? How much? Are we at that point already with Josh Allen as well? Yeah, I think so. Wow, um, I think really. I, I think that. Um, it's just people wondering what the numbers can be, where can they go? And I think a lot of it stems from being, you know, a creature of the moment, which what happened against Patrick Mahomes in that title game. And I've said a lot on the air, Mike, which is for all of the winning Josh Allen's ever done in his life, you know, wherever that is, any game he's ever won, the loss against Kansas city has done more for him and his recognition and his credibility and his marketability and all that stuff and optimism for people, what he can be the loss at Kansas city did more for him than any win he's ever had in his life. There's no doubt about that. Um, that game, the, the way he played, uh, the heavyweight battle, same field as Patrick Mahomes uh, was just incredible. And I think people are now wondering, okay, like what's the next step? What can he do? Look what he did in the two playoff games. He set records. He set records for playoff performance and what he did in two playoff games total and the number of touchdowns and the proficiency and all that kind of stuff. And one of those games was in sub zero temperatures you know, against a, a Bill Belichick coach defense, right? I mean, yeah. pretty amazing. So I do think we're at that point. Now, wow. who knows? I mean, it, it, he might never reach. It would be really hard to do what Patrick Mahomes did in that MVP season and all the numbers he put up. But I think people are expecting Josh to keep that bar pretty darn high where he's kept it and, you know, not have a dip. And that's that's unfortunate when you – that's you can't expect anyone to never have some – even last year, Mike, he had a little bit of a dip overall in his numbers. But – they were so high, right? I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, it's hard to keep those numbers up. But I do think we're at that point where people are just wondering what else is he capable of. Wow. A couple more quick questions for WGR 550, Sal Capaccio. Um, let's move to a, a very, I think, interesting situation now, especially because of the way the offseason has taken place. I mean, the Bills, I think most people would agree, they've kind of gone above and beyond what a lot of us thought would, you know, they would do in the offseason with free agency and trades and all that because of the salary cap. Now, by the same token, the salary cap is also a little overrated because you can always clear space in the NFL just by cutting people. Uh, whether or not that helps you or not down the road, you can still free up money. Just the topic of freeing up money. The Bills have done that and they brought a ton of people in. But now we fast forward up here to this draft sale. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, this is going to be a pretty interesting one for the Bills. Can you hit me with some predictions? Do they trade up, trade down, stay where they are? Do they you know, target that corner? Where do the Bills go in the draft throughout? Well, as I sit here today, you know, they have less than $300,000 remaining in salary cap space. 
which is wild to be that low. Mm. And you have to think about this, Mike. They have to make some moves because they have to sign draft picks. They're, yeah. they're going to need about three to four million to sign draft picks. Now they don't need that space until um, training camp starts. Draft picks can still take part in OTAs and mini camps and all those kinds of things. But eventually they're going to do that. So where does that come from? How do they shed that salary? How do they move money around? So I think a lot of that's going to be tied into how they approach the draft. Now, Brandon Bean, his philosophy has always been best available player. And that's true. And they will stick to it. I hate saying pigeonholing them into a, they're going to draft a corner or they're going to draft a wide receiver. I do think those are the two probably most likely spots. If the value matches up, there's no doubt. I think that those would be the spots that you look to and say, if the value matches up, they could definitely put a guy who can really has more of a chance to play right away. But I wouldn't discount them trying to take a swing up in the draft. There's been some rumors out there. I had Zig Fikasi on my show today. Zig is a host at Sirius XM. He actually reported he's been hearing the Bills could be looking to move up and package in a veteran or two. How that looks, I'm not sure. People wonder about Tremaine Edmonds' salary going forward, where they stand with him. Stephon Diggs with all of the receivers getting paid. Is he going to want to get paid? Are the Bills going to be willing to do that? Could that be something? I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if they take a swing. They've been super aggressive, and I think that Brandon Bean – he saw what the Rams did last year. He saw how they went all in and won a Super Bowl. And this organization wants to win a Super Bowl. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's their approach. Let's go all in. If there's a guy that they see in the top 10 and they feel they have to make a couple of moves to get up there because it might take more than one move to get from 25 to 10, I wouldn't be surprised. So my prediction is they'll still stick with their board. They're not going to go you know, pigeonhole themselves. And also that they'll be looking to investigate any move. But they won't just do it haphazardly, of course. Final thing for you, and it's a Sabres, um, a Sabres note to end. Uh, what a night it was the other night, and you know, in honoring Rick Jenneret, um, he goes up to the Raptors right next to Dominic Hasek. Uh, I, you were in the arena, I believe. We're, I don't know if you were covering yeah. the game or as a fan, but um, you know, just the the place was full again, and it was exciting, and they won, and. You know, I got to tell you, I think they're kind of getting this thing right with the Sabres too, Sal. I really do. I mean, I like this group. They got a haul for Eichel. What was it like to be in the arena um, for that great event? All those unbelievable Sabres legends there as well in honoring RJ. I mean, Rick Jenneret is a broadcast legend. He's, he's a staple of the Sabres. 51 years, my goodness. What was it like? Take us through... Uh, that evening and I you know I watched last night I watched finally the whole speech and I, I I lost it a little bit man I cried a little bit yeah it was emotional being there um I was in the press box I would say a little bit of both as far as covering it or being a fan I'm a fan of RJ and um I'm a colleague of RJ and oh. I wanted to be there to support him on his big night of course I wanted to see you know uh, what the arena was like what the reception was like especially knowing it was a sellout and it was going to be the first time, you know, in a long time that we've seen that many people in the building and all the energy there. But I also wanted to write about it. I did at WGR550.com. And what I wrote about was how, you know, RJ has been doing this longer than I've been alive. And I mean, I, I just turned 49 yesterday. So, you know, I'm um, I, I'm a guy that's, you know, his entire look at whether you're in your 70s or you're eight like Max, my son, you RJ has called games for you. Right. As you're as you're a Sabres fan. And me, I'm kind of in the sweet spot where my whole life, like growing up with him and, you know, hearing all those calls and whether it was a, a goal or a fight that he made sound special. Um, I will tell you that, you know, falling asleep at night with him in my ears was something that, you know, I, I wrote about. He was the last voice I heard a lot of nights, Mike, right? Not my, not my mom or dad. It was a 10 o'clock game out west against Vancouver, L.A. It's a non-school night. They're letting me listen to him on my Walkman. 
if it's a Sabres game at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at the odd, back in the day they played those games, um, you go to bed to listen to the third period on a school night and fall asleep like that. And that's what he meant to me, just to being such a part of my life in that respect. And I just respect him so much as a person, too. You won't find a person who's ever been around RJ to say a bad word about him. He's just a great guy. He's funny. He's quick-witted. Um, he understands his role. And he loves hockey. He loves hockey. He loves the Sabres. We're going to miss him in Buffalo, but this is well-deserved. He's done it a long time. He's been a part of some great moments. I know. I don't know if he'd ever say any regrets, but I just wish the Sabres would have won a Stanley Cup for yes. him while he was, you know. And they, they came close, of course, and they had no goal in 99, and they got really close a couple other times. But um, they had 75. They got to the Cup and lost. Would have been nice to have him call a Stanley Cup, but we can certainly live with a whole bunch of great memories of goal calls and fight calls and other calls. Yeah, what you bring up is just, you know, the beloved part is really so important, you know, and it's such a great point because I was listening to the guys on Spittin' Chicklets the other day and they were talking about Jack Edwards and, you know, how Boston Bruins fans, just like so many of them, just can't stand them. I've never met one Sabre fan, one person in Buffalo, one media person, any you know, anywhere who said anything bad about Rick Jenneret and, and, and doesn't like Rick Jenneret. Do you have a favorite call of his? I would say it's May Day. It's like okay. it's the call that won, you know, the goal call. Yeah. Um, you know, the best goal call. And there's so much about it that I love that I think it's beyond May Day. And if you really listen to that call, you know, we're call, of course we're talking about 1993, fourth game of the playoffs, Adams Division, semifinals, first round. And what made it special was people might not realize the Sabres had not been out of the first round for 10 years. They had the longest drought in the league of getting to the second round at that point. And in 83, they lost to the Bruins on a Game 7 overtime winner by Brad Park. And I, I cried. I was 10 years old. And I bawled my eyes out. Brad Park scored. Sabres lost. Seventh game overtime. Season's over. Ten years later, they had not been out of the second, first round. They go, they go and they play the Bruins. They're up three games to nothing. They had lost, like, every game to the Bruins that year in the regular season. And it's it's this, you know, 13-goal score in the regular season, Brad May, right? It's so... Like, who would have thought? You can't script Brad May scoring, right? You know, Mike, like, who would have thought of him? It's not like he had it in front of him, Mayday, Mayday. Yeah. And he's the one that does it. But the other part is the crowd and the horn and, and, and just hearing all that. And then the the most underrated part to me was the best part. I get chills thinking about it. was the very end of the call, and he says, oh, how do you spell second round? Right? I mean, that was just <laughs> ultimate, the cherry on top of that call for me. Oh, there's so many good ones. Sal Capaccio, at Sal Sports on Twitter, the Bills Beat Man and Insider, Sideline Reporter, host of the Extra Point Show on WGR 550. Sal, incredible to have you. Thank you, as always. Uh, continued success. And, uh, man, I can't wait for this draft and for football to start. It's going to be a wild year. Thanks, bud. Anytime, brother. Take care. From one incredible guest to another, we bring him in from the Buffalo News. He's a sports enterprise reporter and columnist. You can get him on Twitter, at Jason Wolf. Jason, so much uh, to talk about here in Buffalo sports. Thanks for a few minutes. I'm doing well. Thanks. Let's start with this first. I mean, my listeners may not, may not know uh, what you do. I mean, the, the, the columnist part covers itself, but what is a sports enterprise reporter? What, what does that mean? So I write, uh, I typically write uh, longer features for the sports department. I've been at the Buffalo News for about four years now. In my first three Bill seasons, I would write the Sunday centerpiece story every game day. So the big feature that would appear uh, and be centerpieced on the front page of uh, the sports section on Sundays. Um, in the off season, I'll do any number of other topics, whether that's 
chipping in on savers or college coverage. Um, I did a pretty large investigation into the Andy Dalton Foundation this past year and where Bill's fans' money went, how the for-profit management company behind it pocketed uh, about $100,000 of the 400-some thousand that Bill's fans donated. And that took 10 months to do, so that's not something that one of the Bill's beat writers is going to delve into. Um, And then... You know, throughout this season, I have been one of the two primary writers at the news that has kind of led our stadium coverage. And so uh, I focus primarily on the Bills. I focus primarily on uh, long-form features uh, and investigations. Um, but I can do pretty much I, – I can help cover – Pretty, any, pretty much any topic in the sports department. So there's a little bit of a general assignment bent to the job. It's fun. It's fun. I enjoy the variety. Um, and, you know, not having to churn out uh, a story or, or five every single day like, you know, some other reporters. The Before we get to all the Buffalo Bills craziness with the offseason, I wanted to throw in a, a Sabres thing here to start with Rick Jenneret the other night, honoring him. He goes up to the rafters. What an evening that was. Can you just kind of, you know, give your, you know, reaction to it? Um, I, got, I got a little emotional watching the speech for sure. Um, and uh, it was so well-deserved that he, that he, you know, that, that, that he got honored because of just his tenure and, and, and his impact. 51 years is just crazy. Um, what was your reaction to the ceremony? And then as a follow-up to that, too, two-part question, do, do you think that they're finally getting this thing right with the Sabres, with this current group of players? Well, I'll start out by telling you that I am the wrong person to be asking about the Sabres. <laughs> um, I wasn't at that game. I, I did follow the, the coverage and saw the ceremony. Uh, our primary Sabres writers are obviously Mike Harrington and Lance Lysowski. Yeah, they do a great job. Um, so they would be the guys to, to talk to uh, if you wanted to delve into the Sabres conversation. Uh, that said, um, you know, I did watch the ceremony. I did uh, dive into the coverage on, on social media and, and in the paper and some other outlets. Um, I watched all the hype videos that, that the Sabres put together. Um, it was beautiful to see, honestly. And for a guy to be honored in that way, you know, typically... You see sports franchises retire numbers and celebrate great players. But um, have a guy like Rick honored with you know, his initials in the rafters with the microphone. I mean, what more could you want? As a member of the media, I mean, it's beautiful to see the fans recognize somebody that has poured his life and soul into this organization and who, in many respects, you know, has been the voice of the Sabres for generations. And so the outpouring, uh, it, it was remarkable. Uh, it really was. You know, Jack Eichel, you know, made that crack about how, oh, well, this is the loudest I've heard this building in years, you know, when he came earlier this season with Vegas. Um, by all accounts, everyone who I know who was there the building was even louder uh, for RJ. So 
that's incredible. Um, it would be nice if more people had the opportunity to get their hands on those commemorative banners that they were handing out. I understand that there were some fans who grabbed handfuls and left others you know, empty-handed, and that there was a limited amount for sale at the Wegmans around here. As somebody who's got like the Josh Allen little people sitting right here on my desk, <laughs> I, I can appreciate how much that uh, type of memorabilia would, would mean to fans. And so I mean, it was cool to see that outpouring of support for him. Uh, as far as whether the the Sabres are turning it around, I mean, you've got to love what you see under Granado, right? Um, it wasn't working out with some of the stars that have been here. And I'm using stars with air quotes, right? Who have been here in, in recent seasons. And I think it was the right move to, to clean house and start of move, sort of move on, right? Like move on to the next chapter. It wasn't working out and it was time to kind of, you know, clean up the roster. And uh, I really believe in the concept of wanting players who want to be here, right? Because if you're not happy playing for the Sabres, well, then they don't really need you, right? There's no doubt. Um, let's dive into the Bills. The wide receiver market has just been unbelievable. <laughs> the money that's getting thrown around, it seems like one and then another and then another. Uh, you know, Devontae Adams to the Raiders, Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins in that big trade, just to name a few. Um, what's next for Stephon Diggs in the wide receiver market? Uh, I think he's going to get paid. I think the Bills are going to find a way to pay him when they need to. And he's as happy as he's been in his career. He, he's got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's part of one of the most powerful offenses in the league. I mean, you look at at Von Miller, I don't know if you saw that phone call that he had with his father when he was deciding where to sign mm -hmm. and all of the reasons why you should stay in Buffalo. I don't see Stefan going anywhere, and they're going to take you. Brandon Bean's going to take care of him when the time comes. New stadium, uh, obviously, uh, has been pretty much, uh, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, a lot of people upset in terms of, you know, where the, the money's coming from. Um can you just assess what the stadium, I guess maybe the, the inside is at 50, about what, 50,000 season tickets. There's going to be some boxes. Um, you know, t take me through kind of the specifics of the stadium. The stadium. Uh, well, first of all, it's going to be, it's going to have between 60 and 62,000 seats, which is about 8,000 fewer than what the Ralph holds, what the Ralph seats. Um, the seating bowl is going to be of a similar size. And so by reducing the seats by about 8,000, it's going to allow uh, them to put larger seats in there, right? So people will have more room. Um, beyond that, they're going to have, or they're planning to have a standing room only party deck that will hold between three to 5,000 additional spectators. So uh, if they have 62,000 seats, 5,000 people on the party deck, that's 67,000 fans. It's really in line with what their historic attendance figures have been. Yeah. And it gives them that, that flexibility. Um, it increases, uh, you know, it increases the size, uh, it increases the comfort for fans and, and it matches what their historic attendance figures have been. So a lot of people are saying, oh, well, they're building a smaller stadium. That's not really true. It's going to have a smaller capacity. The stadium itself, the footprint is actually going to be 50% larger than the realm. So it's going to be a far larger venue. It's just going to have fewer seats in it. Um, beyond that, I'm happy to ask whatever 
answer whatever specific questions you have if I can. So the amount of money that is publicly funded is what around eight hundred fifty million? Is that the number? Eight fifty. It's okay. six hundred and fifty from New York. Okay. Uh, it's six hundred million from New York State. It's two hundred and fifty million from Erie County. Okay. That's an upfront construction cost. Over the life of the thirty-year lease, it's one point one three billion dollars in public money, with um, annual upkeep costs uh, being handled by the state. That amounts to about thirteen fourteen million a year, I believe. What do you think this team's going to do in the draft? Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't help you out uh, with that at, at this point. I mean. In the first round, it's really hard to say. Um, I think they're in trouble in the secondary. They need a cornerback, right? Everybody points to, to Levi Wallace leaving, and so you're obviously down a number two starter. But, you know, Trey White suffered an ACL injury on Thanksgiving. Uh, that was pretty late in the season, and, and guys bounce back from that on different timelines. So I don't know what he's going to look like at the start of the season either right i don't i don't personally think it's a given that trey white is back for the start of the season and and he's all pro trey white you know what i mean so uh that's a glaring issue as far as i'm concerned could they use help at running back sure could they use help on the offensive and defensive lines always i think they're in pretty good shape at wide receiver obviously quarterback is a non-issue I don't think linebacker is a is a great concern. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, I'm not a Tremaine Edmonds hater in the least. Um, he's young, and I know that that's the been the kind of drumbeat for years now. But he's young. He's got two Pro Bowl nods. He's got an incredible range and wingspan. He may not make the splash plays that we'd like to see, but I, I think there's still room for him to grow. Um, so beyond that, we're talking depth, right? Which is what Brandon Bean likes. He wants to go best player available. And uh, aside from cornerback, I, I think that you know, they're in fairly good shape. So, I mean, push, you know, it, at, at this stage, if you're like, what are you going to, what are the Bills going to draft what in the first round? And you put a gun to my head, I'm going to tell you corner, just because I think that's where they have the, the biggest problems right now. Final thing for you. When you watch Josh Allen play quarterback, what do you enjoy the most when you watch him play? He's exciting, right? I mean, he is the best player on the field at all times and is capable of taking over a game at any moment. Um, That's the most exciting thing. You know, there are, are quarterbacks who are game managers, and he's gotten much better at that aspect of it. You don't want to see him be reckless. And he's arranged himself in really well, I think, over the years. Um, But he hasn't erased that from his game. And the coaching staff doesn't want him to. There's a reason why he's so special. It's the arms and the legs. And his ability to read defenses has really come along. And his decision-making has really come along. You don't see the old reckless Josh so much anymore you see a guy who is in control of himself who's in control of the offense who more often than not knows what he's seeing you know, from a defense and is able to take advantage of that 
the, the increase in accuracy has been tremendous. Well, there, there aren't very many people who saw that coming and, and with good reason, right? Like most guys just don't improve their accuracy the way Josh has been able to. And so, and he's, he's developed into a bona fide NFL superstar quarterback. I mean, he's the franchise quarterback that everybody hoped that he could be. And that's super exciting, right? No doubt about it. You have to have the, you have to have that position figured out. Uh, in this league, there's no question about that. Jason Wolf, Buffalo News, sports enterprise reporter and columnist at Jason Wolf on Twitter. Jason, this was outstanding. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Yeah, sure thing. Happy to help you out, man. Huge thanks to Sal Capaccio of the WGR 550 platform. And of course, Jason Wolf from the Buffalo News. I'm Mike Lindsley. Make sure you follow us, Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, all over social media, including Twitter at Built in Buffalo underscore. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike L Sports as well. Thanks for listening to the Pandemonium Podcast. And as I always tell you, enjoy the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.